today. Um, pick up a brochure and um, looking forward to traveling to Israel with, with all of you. It'll be a, a wonderful time. All right, so this morning we are in the Gospel of Luke and we're wrapping up chapter 11. The title of this morning's message is Don't Be a Plaster Saint. Don't be a plaster saint. Well, that'll make sense as we go through the text this morning and everything is worked out. So let's begin by re reading in Luke chapter 11 and verse 33, which says, No one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. Father, we desire to be just that. Lord, as you have called us as your people to be holy, for you are holy. You've called us to walk in righteousness. You've told us, commanded us, Lord, to walk by the Spirit, that we would not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Lord, these are both a miraculous reality in our lives as we are in Christ and he is in us. But also as we are in these bodies, these tents that are breaking down, we realize also that we have choices to make on a daily basis. We either choose to walk in the light or choose to walk in the darkness. We choose to humble ourselves before you or walk in our arrogance and pride and reject you and walk in the wisdom of the world instead of the wisdom that comes only from you. Lord, as you spoke these words, Lord, you are, you are laying out the fact that we are, Lord, to be pure, to be genuine, to be sincere. Lord, to trust in you. Lord, in that which is good, you, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, would not be withheld, but it would go forth with integrity in a vessel, Lord, that is completely given to you. And so, Father, may we be those vessels, those instruments that are completely given to you, living sacrifices unto you, offered, Lord, in a way that reflects a complete surrender to Jesus Christ as Savior and as Lord, that you may be glorified. And so, Father, speak to us this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, Amen. A.W. Tozer said this, quote, You can be as straight as a gun barrel, theologically, and just as empty as one spiritually. 
close quote. You see, as even we were reminded this morning about being genuine, preparing our hearts for communion, uh, considering the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, shedding his blood for the remission or the forgiveness of our sins. We also, in that, uh, we confess, we understand that we have a tendency toward hypocrisy. This is common to all. It's not just for those who uh, have fallen away from the Lord, those who are considered prodigal sons and daughters, those who are apart from the Lord and have rejected Him, but that is a tendency of each and every one of us. Hypocrisy. It is defined as the practice of claiming to have moral standards or beliefs to which one's own behavior does not conform to be pretentious. A hypocrite knows what is right, but does not do what is right. And yet at the same time, though, and here's where even when we do acknowledge that, virtue signaling does nothing for us in our hypocrisy. Well, I fall short. I'm, I'm weak. And yet at the same time demand from others that they follow what they cannot follow themselves. A plaster saint is a person who makes a show of being without moral faults or weakness, especially in a hypocritical way. Plaster, well, it can make anything look good on the outside. Looking super good. A plaster saint has a facade that hides what is actually within. Someone who has learned how to appear to be something that he or she really is not. And this is what Jesus is now addressing. Hypocrisy is what he's addressing. Jesus had just addressed people who attributed his miracles to the power of Satan. He just addressed people who wanted to see more miracles as if those were not enough what he had done up to that point. I told you last week, we have a tendency to do that very thing. I want to see a little bit more, and a little bit more, and a little bit more, and a little bit more. But when is enough enough for you to prove that God is faithful and that his will is perfect no matter what you're going through, no matter how things look? Jesus also addressed others that were confused with idolatry. Remember how it was that uh, there were people who were reverencing, reverencing the mother of Jesus. And he gently addressed them, saying, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God. And keep it. And from that, he goes into what we have this morning after he deals with people who were still looking for signs. 
He's dealing with hypocrisy. Something that is deadly to a person's faith. C.H. Spurgeon said this, quote, How often have you and I helped to keep sinners easy in their sin by our inconsistency? Had we been true Christians, the wicked man would have been pricked to the heart and his conscience would have convicted him. Close quote. Again, virtue signaling and just um, thinking that perhaps we're doing good by a constant admittance and a compromise of sin in order to make someone who is in sin feel better for the place where they're at is not good at all. In fact, that's hypocrisy. The danger of hypocrisy is not just for self, though. But the danger... Oh, this hypocrisy is, is exposed to others, and we put the other, others in danger as well. Matthew 23, 15 says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. And Jesus begins by pointing out that that which is of God should be seen and apparent to all, not hidden. And see, so he goes into this subject gently, but he's pointing something out for us that we need to realize. What do you see? What do you understand is the first point here in verses 33 through 36. As again, we read, no one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. Jesus' miracles should have been seen for what they were. God's power, God's sovereignty, and yet there were those with Jesus who did not see them for what they were. They actually attributed those things, those miracles, to the power of Satan. They lacked understanding. Jesus himself should have been seen for who he is, the Son of God, and that there is no one above him. And yet they saw fit to elevate the womb that bore him and the breasts that fed him over acknowledging him as preeminent. They lacked understanding. Jesus should have been seen for being the Messiah. And yet they kept asking for more signs from heaven. And so Jesus addresses the people that were listening to this. And he tells them that their eye is the lamp of their body 
When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. In other words, a person can be spiritually blind and unable to see light. It's interesting to me how the same verse can be understood by one person and another person has no idea what that verse is telling them. One, they're either denying their understanding of the word or they just don't understand it, period. A person who is spiritually blind will not be able to discern what is truth and what is false. We see that today. Unfortunately, when we give ourselves, no matter if we're in the church or outside of the church, when we give ourselves to our own wisdom, the philosophies of the world, the ways of the world, and we insist on rejecting the truth of God, what happens is we get deeper in our blindness and we just do not see truth for what it is. These people that would see with their eyes could not understand with their hearts. And they kept asking for more. And even what they did see, they didn't understand. In verse 35, in the midst of this address, Jesus drops an absolute bombshell. As he says, therefore, be careful Lest the light in you be darkness. Be careful. Lest the light in you be darkness. C.H. Burgeon said this, quote, Do you wonder that our Lord seemed to hold up his hands in astonishment as he said, If the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? If that which should lead misleads, how misled you will be. If your better part turns out to be evil, how evil must you be? Close quote. You see, when a person lives in darkness, yet believes that he is living in the light, how deep and how dark and how destructive is that deception. And unfortunately, it doesn't remain with the person. That deception is passed along to others as Jesus warned the hypocrites of the proselytes that they were making. Either a person has no light source. In other words, the truth is not, they're not exposed to the truth itself. Or the person is exposed to truth and yet cannot perceive or grasp, cannot understand the truth. Some people will say, well, I'm a realist. Well, be careful. It's because it's one thing to be a realist and it's quite another to be a pessimist. See the world as it is. See your world for what it is as well. But also see Jesus for who he is in the midst of it. Sometimes we lose that. We lose perspective. We see the world. We can get all wrapped up in the world. We can get worked up. We can get overwhelmed. We can get anxious. We can get worried. It may, the world may even cause young couples to choose not to have children. You might 
have heard of a couple that says, no, I am not going to be bringing a child into this world. We need more righteous couples, more couples that are walking with the Lord to have more children that we may have more children that are walking with the Lord, not less, more. You've got it backwards. God said to multiply, to be fruitful. That's a, that's a, that's a command, by the way. What happens is we see the world around us and we're filled with fear. Fear and faith cannot live in the same person. God has not given us to a spirit of fear, but a love, power, self-control, or discipline. Be careful that you are not exhibiting pessimism. That is a doubt. That is a lack of faith. That is unbelief. You're claiming to have faith, and yet you're expressing something far different. John 16, 33, Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, it is written, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Oh, well, he is an anchor that is immovable. In Christ, we are overcomers, we are victorious in him. We walk in victory. From victory, not to victory. The fullness of that victory will be known in glory. But for now, be confident in the Lord. Walk with Him. And when we understand this, and live our lives in light of the truth of who Jesus is, then we will not walk in the darkness of spiritual blindness as victims and hypocrites, but as humble servants of our King who is both Savior and Lord. That's the manner in which we are to walk and conduct ourselves and live our lives and speak and act and respond in that manner. What do you see? And that is what Jesus begins this portion by addressing this and really serves as cause for us to ask, what do we see? In other words, what do we perceive? What do we understand? Are we walking in the light or are we walking in the darkness? Are we walking according to truth or deceived in the darkness of what is false? And then he goes on and addresses what is within. Verse 37 says, While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness, you fools. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. 
Speaking of darkness, it's amazing that as Jesus is inviting to, invited to come dine with the Pharisee in his home, that this would lead into a series of woes, which means grief, anguish, affliction, wretchedness, calamity, or trouble. Jesus accepts this invitation by this Pharisee to come and dine with him. But if you notice, Jesus does not go along with whatever it is that the Pharisee is doing. No doubt that the Pharisee went through the ceremonial washing of the hands before he sat down to dine. Jesus, like probably many of our kids, just sat down at the table, right? He may have washed, but definitely not in the way that they were washing. I want to point out that Jesus doesn't just go along with the Pharisees, you know, to, I don't know, relate to them. He's oftentimes, and I've heard this, you know, Jesus hung out with sinners as if What's being implied is that he just, he, you know, tossed some back and participated in what they participated in. That couldn't be further from the truth. He wouldn't be calling the Pharisees hypocrites, whitewashed tombs, if he just went along to get along. I point that out to you because it's important for us to understand. Jesus does not go along with whatever the Pharisee does and is, but rather we'll see how he points out what is leading those Pharisees to hell. Jesus makes a series of divine pronouncements of judgment from God. If Jesus does not point this out, that he is condemned if he remains in the state of hypocrisy, in the state of sin, then he will not know what to repent of. What am I to repent of? What's my sin? How have I come up short? John 3.18 says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. To the Pharisee, as he saw Jesus sit down without going through the custom uh, that the religious leaders would, would go through and required of others to do was alarming to that Pharisee that Jesus did not take part in that. The ceremonial washing. To not do this in the eyes of the Pharisees would be to actually commit sin. And we know that Jesus was without sin. It's interesting because they normally had this water separate from the rest of the water, put in a stone vessel. And the way they would do this is they would begin with, uh, you could just imagine a, a small cup of water, small. They would begin by by taking it and starting at the tips of their fingers and then washing down to the wrist. Both hands. And then they would take their, their fist 
put it in the palms of their hands and wash. Do the same with the other. Wash. And then they would take the cup of water and then rinse, starting from the wrist and going outward to the tips of their fingers. Jesus had no use for this. And yet this Pharisee was, was offended. Yet Jesus skipped this washing, this ceremonial washing of the hands. David Guzik said this, quote, If these religious leaders were as concerned about cleansing their hearts as they were their hands, they would be more godly men. Close quote. And as Jesus saw the Pharisee and no doubt the uh, look of astonishment that he had on his face, he confronted his host. This was his host that he confronted. And he, and he confronted his host with truth. Not only were ceremonial washings required for the Pharisees for their hands before dining, but also for all of the vessels that they would use to dine with. And Jesus was quick to point out that they were careful to make the outside clean while the inside was full of filth. And he was not referring to the hands and plates or the cups that perhaps they had before him. And Jesus told them in no uncertain terms. He didn't beat around the bush. He didn't tiptoe, toe the line. He didn't do any of those things. In fact, he went straight at him, confronted him. He told them that inwardly they were full of greed and wickedness. And he even called them fools. But some people may look at that and go, wow. Did he even have any compassion in saying this? Did he really want to win them over? How dare he speak to them like this? You don't think that they were offended? They were deeply offended. Deeply offended. They were already offended because hey, he didn't wash his hands right. But you think when Jesus opened his mouth and started saying these things, they were even further offended? Listen, we can't, but we know. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Does it not say in God's word that God desires that none perish, but that all reach repentance? Do you think it's any different for the Pharisees, scribes, the Sadducees, the lawyers that we're going to read about? No, it's the same. Listen, I, I know in today's society, we seem to be afraid to offend each other. We got to get away from that. We have to. Otherwise, we'll fall into the same deception and we will just tell each other what we want to hear, tickle each other's ears. Hey, follow your heart, whatever makes you happy. Oh, by the way, what does the word say to you? What do you want it to say?
A lot of churches, that's exactly... Bible studies, that's... Do not ever say that in a Bible study. You Bible study leaders don't ever say that. Well, what does it mean to you? No, no, no. First find out, what, what, what does God say? And then align your will, your mind, your thoughts to his thoughts, his ways, his will. He was telling them these things because his intention was not to just simply offend, just to offend, because maybe one thinks he was offended. Okay, Jesus was offended because he saw the countenance of this Pharisee, and so he was just going to go straight at him. No, 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 that's not Jesus. That's not our God. He is not capricious. It's not. Think he'd respond to people in that way? That's, that's not my God. But rather to point out what was true about them so that they would see this and repent. There's a whole reason for it. Jesus goes on to tell them that they should not only be concerned about the outside, but also the inside. In Luke chapter 6, verse 43, it says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does, again, does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit, for figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the, his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. We went through that. What comes out is evidence of what is in our hearts. And he's telling them, you're so concerned about the outside. But the inside, oh, it's full of greed and wickedness. Take heed. Jesus points out that what is important is that which is within. When they are more interested in how things look on the outside without seeing the filth that is inside and dealing with that. And then Jesus continues. He gives us... As he is giving them examples of the sin within that they need to repent of. Verse 42, as we continue. It says, but, but woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and walk, and people walk over them without knowing it. Oh, these are, we're going to go through a series of divine warnings, these woes. These would have been taken as very harsh uh, to those whom he was addressing these woes to. These, uh, to them, would be taken as words of condemnation. And yet, we know them. To be words of divine warning. So let's begin with the first one. As we know that God desires that none perish, but that all reach repentance. The first woe, tithing. Let's talk about tithing. All these Pharisees would be meticulous in counting seeds and leaves from their herb garden. Can you imagine that? These are the... Um, uh, we have 10 
leaves from our basil plant, and we go, one is for God, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, those are for me, okay, we have uh, oregano, <laughs> okay, so we have, and then you get the picture? Seeds, can you imagine that? Oh, you have a jalapeno, <laughs> the seeds within it, <laughs> numerous, let's, and on and on, and he was, he was saying, hey, listen, you are meticulous. I know you to be meticulous about your tithing. Oh, that we would even come close to that. The problem with them is that they associated this kind of practice with being a genuine follower of God. And anyone who didn't, they saw as not following God, being in sin. And yet at the same time, as they meticulously observed tithing, they neglected justice and the love of God. They neglected those things. Listen, one thing we ought to note, that Jesus did not tell them that tithing was wrong or a sin. He didn't tell them that but that they were distracted with these details and missed the most important elements that God desires. God loves a cheerful, a joyful giver, doesn't he? We get so wrapped up sometimes in the details, and this is what he was bringing across, those little details like, oh, we got to, you know, dot our I's, cross our T's, we got to do it this way, this way, and this way, this way, and we don't look up, and we miss the love of God and his justice in our own lives and toward others. We miss that. He's not saying one or the other. He's saying all of the above. All of the above. Micah 6.8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Micah 6.8. The second well. Oh, you like the best seats. Mm. This is horrible. These people who were supposed to be religious leaders, oh, they love the best seats, the prominent places, the titles, the references. They wanted to be treated like celebrities. But Jesus rebuked this Pharisee for that and rebuked the Pharisees for that. Let's move on, though, the third woe. Defilement. You know, when people walk over graves, they were deemed defiled. Ceremoniously defiled, according to the numbers. And Jesus told them that they were defiled. And people would unknowingly defile themselves because of the Pharisees and their contact with them. They were like unmarked graves. You know, you walk over an unmarked grave, you don't know that you're touching a grave and the people would defile themselves. That's why they needed to be clearly marked so that they could go around them and avoid them. Romans 16, 17, and 18 says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to, contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, 
they deceive the hearts of the naive. The word tells us to mark and to avoid. Again, it's not for the intention of being mean or having some kind of vengeance on someone. But number one, it's to not allow others to be deceived. And number two, that they would come to repent. Fourth well, verse 45, let's continue. It says, one of the lawyers answered him, teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And he said, woe to you, lawyers also. For you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Uh, it would have been better for the lawyer to just remain silent, right? And yet he took offense. He was, and he wasn't even being addressed specifically. It was the Pharisees that were being addressed specifically. And here is this bystander off on the side. He goes, ah, Jesus, I take offense as well. Again, it is obvious just that Jesus wasn't just accepting of everyone. You know, Jesus does say, come as you are. But he does not say, just stay as you are. He tells us to repent and believe and be holy because he is holy. He says to walk in the spirit. These guys would require of others what they wouldn't do themselves. They would apply strict rules to others, but would make exceptions when it suited them. There were all kinds of exceptions to these rules. You know, well, you can't tie a knot, but you can perhaps tie, if, if you tie a knot on, on an apron, um, then that was different. And if you use the apron, to, you know, it, it just, they would bend the rules that they would apply to everyone else to suit themselves. Do not be a plaster saint. Do not be a hypocrite who says to others, be understanding. While you, at the same time, fail to be understanding. Do not demand of others to be gracious and fail to be gracious. Do not require of others to be truthful. And yet, when people confront you with the truth, reject or avoid them. Do not demand of others to be loving when you yourself are withdrawn and lack to apply that very same love that you want everyone else to show you. Are you understanding? Are you gracious? Do you receive the truth? And are you loving? The fifth woe, false honor. Verse 47. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute. <clears throat> 
so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. And so he talks about this false honor. In other words, what we have commonly we have come to know uh, to be common today is virtue signaling. And I brought this up earlier. These people honored those prophets who were dead. As if they genuinely did honor them in life. In which they did not honor those prophets when they were living. It's interesting how plaster saints can talk bad about a person and then after the fact as it suits them talk well of those people because now they're in agreement with them in some way that's a hypocrite that's what they were doing they were acting as if they honored the old prophets and yet they were the very ones who murdered them did they honor John the Baptist no. Uh, were they honoring Jesus? No. They sent him to the cross. And all who were sent by God were rejected and killed. Jesus declared that in building the tombs for them, they were approving of the deeds of their fathers. Therefore, the blood of the prophets from A to Z, all of them, is what he said will be charged against them because the culmination of all that they were prophesying leads to one. The one whom they will crucify. Is what Jesus was doing loving. Take note. Church, take note. Please. It's gone through five woes. Is this loving? And the answer is a resounding yes. It's absolutely loving. Warning them of the wrath of the Lamb is the most loving thing that Jesus could have done with people who were blind to the truth. Believing that they were walking in the truth, walking in the light, and yet they were deceived and they were absolutely not walking in the truth. That someone would wake up. I was watching a video of a boxing coach when his boxer was showboating and was just in himself, was just like, what is this guy doing? And you know what the, the coach did? <laughs> he slapped him. He slapped him about five times. And then you know what he did? The most loving thing he could do, he embraced him. And he brought, no, he didn't do that either. He yelled at him. What are you doing? This is not who we are. Wake up. You know, sometimes we need a couple slaps. I pray that we would have these divine slaps applied to both sides of our faces that we may wake up from our stupor. We're so full of ourselves. Come on, church. 
so full. We're so wise in our own eyes. We're filled with knowledge. We want to interpret things in our own way that it would suit our own needs and, well, as what we deem to be needs. Instead of just being living sacrifices, completely given to the Lord. Six well. Verse 52. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. Oh, wow. This is the worst of all. To be told, you yourself don't know God, and you're keeping others from knowing God. By doing what they were doing, they were you're holding people back. They were stumbling blocks. They weren't facilitating or encouraging or building up people to get closer to the Lord. They were actually drawing them away. They were hindering people from coming to see Jesus for who he is. By doing what they were doing, they were doing this. Luke chapter 17 verse 2 says, It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. That's why we ought to be mindful of our own lives. By requiring all of these details... As far as the Pharisees and the lawyers were concerned, the religious leaders of the time, requiring these of other people to be observed in order to be right with God, they were actually hindering people from being right with God. They were thinking that these people were getting, these things were helping people get closer to God when in fact they were causing people to get further from God and not be right with Him. They made self-righteous clones who were filled with pride, greed, and all kinds of wickedness. That's what they were reproducing. These proselytes who were on their way to hell. And they looked down upon everyone else, but the worst part is that God looked down upon them for who they were. Hypocrites. And what they were doing to others, leading them to hell. The six woes prove that at this point, God was rebuking them, that they would see these things for what they were, confess them, and repent from them. How did they respond? Verse 53 says, As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him. To catch him in something he might say. Do you think they were offended? They took great offense. Such offense that they were now, these Pharisees, these scribes, these lawyers, all the religious leaders. They began to look for ways in which they could set Jesus up to be able to accuse him of something that would condemn him. That's what they were looking for. Something that would shut him up. 
It's interesting when you speak the truth, when people don't humble themselves. A pastor by the name of Jack Hibbs from Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, went and prayed. Oh, how dare he ask for God to forgive the nation for its sins. For those who are now opposed to him and opposed to that very prayer are saying we have nothing to repent of. What arrogance. Maybe next Sunday I will read you the prayer that he prayed. They are scrutinizing. They are looking at Pastor Jack Hibbs now. Kind of reminds me of what these people, these uh, haughty people were doing with Jesus in this day. He wasn't trying just to offend them, but that they would wake up. The Lord is trying to do that with America. Wake up. Repent. You have much to repent of. The blood of innocent children is on the hands of this nation. Lawlessness. Where the law ends, tyranny begins. That is what we're seeing on our streets. Oh, Austin, Texas? Oh, defund the police. How is that working? I'll tell you how it's working. Right now, they're crying. They're asking, oh, please do something. <laughs> Give us more. More? You mean the ones that you rejected and you said we couldn't have? That we shouldn't have? No. Righteousness is good. To know the righteousness of God is to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Jesus was calling them to repent. That's what he was calling them to do, to repent. Don't be offended, be humbled. Hypocrites who refuse to repent, who do not see the truth, will look for ways to justify themselves and silence those who do not agree with them and they will do so at any cost whatsoever. Sometimes they've gone so far in saying too many things and they can't come back from that because they're too prideful and they can't humble themselves. They won't humble themselves. But they're not realizing that there are no saints at all. They're plaster saints. They may look good on the outside to some, but inside they are full of pride, greed, and wickedness. May that not be true of us. Pray for understanding of the truth. Know what is in your own heart. Heed God's warnings and repent. Humble yourself and be genuine in your faith. I pray that if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that you take heed yourself. For the church, if we need to repent, please do so right now. Pride, greed, wickedness, gossip, whatever it is, repent of that. We need to be a pure church. We're actually walking out the love that God showed toward us, toward one another. If you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, He died for your sins. 
His shed blood is what gives you the offering of his grace because, because he has paid for your sins in full by his shed blood. That if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says we shall be saved. For all who cry, cry upon the Lord, cry to him, shall be saved. All who call upon him as Lord and Savior shall be saved. I pray that today would be the day of salvation for you. I'll leave you with uh, some verses and a quote. Romans 12, 9 through 13 says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. That is exactly what we have in the example that Jesus set before us here in Luke chapter 11. Hold fast to what is good. That's what he was calling the Pharisees to do. Love one another with brotherly affection, exactly what he was doing. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. D.L. Moody said this, quote, What we want is to be real. Let us not appear to be more than we are. Don't let us put any on any cant and any assumed humility, but let us be real. That is the delight of God. God wants us to be real men and women, and if we profess to be what we are not, God knows all about us. God hates sham. Close quote. So don't be a plaster saint. Be humble and be a genuine lover of Jesus Christ. Amen. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you did not hold back. You did not tiptoe around things that, Lord, perhaps we could be involved in. Lord, the deception of the heart goes deep. We could believe that we are walking in the light and yet we are walking in the darkness. Father, I pray that we would be genuine, that you would forgive us of our sins, Lord, and that you would help us to walk in the spirit, that we would not fulfill the lust of the flesh, that we would be given to you, desiring to be pure and holy before you, that we would walk in obedience to your word. And Lord, even these rebukes, Lord, these woes, these divine warnings that Jesus was giving to these Pharisees and lawyers and these scribes, Lord, may we take heed as well. Warning, Lord, that without Christ, we remain condemned in our sin. Oh, Lord, but you offer your grace to us. You offer salvation in Jesus Christ. And I do pray, well, I do ask, Lord, that we would acknowledge that. Anyone who has not surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, repented of their sins and believed in Jesus Christ, Lord, that today be the day of salvation, knowing that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that there's none righteous, no, not one, and yet he who cries upon you, out to you as, as Lord and Savior, oh, that person shall be saved. Lord, I pray that that would be true of anyone here who does not does not know salvation, does not know your grace, and the eternal hope that can only be known in Jesus Christ. May today be the day of salvation. 
a day of rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that has repented. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name.